0: Subtitles. Now, where else are you going to find something like that? Uh, a couple at Angel Hall, uh, an impressionistic documentary about the mutual regard between humans and animals, and a thriller about a corporate re- recruiter who supports his wife's expensive habits by stealing art in Norwegian and Danish with subtitles. But don't let that scare you. Uh, all other things happening Friday. Uh, uh, FUBAR is playing at, uh, at Live, formerly Live at PJ's. Uh, that's free at 6.30 p.m. Now, the 39 Steps is starting out at the EMU Spomberg Theater at 7 p.m. Uh, that's their uh, uh, their spoof of Hitchcock's Mistaken in any Thriller. That continues through Sunday and it's also next weekend. Uh, Doug and Tasha are at the Greenwood Coffee House at the First United Methodist Church at 8 p.m. And the Velvet Hammer Release Party and Burlesque Show is at the Corner Brewery at 9 p.m. Uh, that starts uh oh there's a lot of stuff fire spinners palm readers gypsy balkan band derby girls anyway it's time it's 431 so I'm turning you over now to uh to, uh, to our book show
1: I'm back in the saddle again out where a friend is a friend where the longhorn cattle feed on the lonely Jimson we Back in the saddle again I'm riding the range once more toting my old 44 Where we sleep out every night And the only law is right Back in the saddle again Upbeat, I, I, oh. Saddle again. yay! go my way back in the saddle
2: again. you've got living writers, I'm T Hetzel, and today on the program I'm so happy to have here Ron Carlson. Um Ron, welcome to Living Right. It's great to be
3: here. Thanks for the song. It was sweet.
2: <laughs> Back in the saddle again. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not your first time in Michigan either, is it? Well,
3: I've been around all, you know, like everybody else. I lived in the east and I lived in the west. So uh, Michigan, uh, sometimes we drive up at one. I spent a night in Flint on my honeymoon. It's very funny, yeah. That's not usually
2: a a honeymoon destination. Were you on your way to Niagara Falls or Toronto? We didn't
3: know where we were going. We were young, and we were driving to Connecticut. And, yeah, the day later, we parked in Buffalo, and I looked at my wife, and I said, do you know what's here? Because there we were. And we did go to Niagara Falls, but it was an accident.
2: Just purely because it
3: was en en route. You know what it was, and also this, I've always often thought it would be a good premise for a story because we were there, this is a long time ago, it was so sweet, two kids, June of 69, and Niagara Falls was closed. I mean, they'd closed the American side, they diverted the what? water. Seriously, one of the, it was just dripping, and they put in steel plates. Look, you can look it up. Look in the Time magazine for June of there's a great picture, because when they, they diverted the water, they found a bunch of old cars and debris under there. And uh, so we were there in this very special time, and I mean, absolutely as innocent as you get to be. In this life.
2: And you see, like, the skeletons of rusted old
3: cars. It was was (laughs)
4: was,
2: not one of the wonders of the world, really. I've been
3: back to Niagara Falls uh, since we're talking about it, and it scares me the power, the the amount of water. I've been around a lot of waterfalls in the woods uh, of Utah and Arizona and backpacking. Maybe even Wyoming. Yeah, exactly. And so it's, uh, but they're all kind of manageable. I mean, they're up in 25, 35, 50 feet. But not like the millions of tons of water that come over that Niagara Falls. So anyway, I'm not sure why we're talking about that, except that um, yeah. So I've been in Michigan before, and um, I've never been to the Upper Peninsula, which is where I want to go. Yes, that seems like a logical. Heroes and
2: yeah, the Two Hearted uh, River.
3: And one of my friends was up there and sent me all this stuff. It, it annoys me because he got there first.
2: Is he? Does he have a, like a, a camp there that no, you could go and visit? No, he went on a
3: pilgrimage. He's yeah. he was the professor who was across the office from me when I was at Arizona State University, huh. and. Um, Anyway, I think everybody makes, w- in one way or other, I've been to, I dug out uh, one of Hemingway's early flats in Paris and walked over there. It's unmarked, when where he lived with Hadley when they had the baby.
2: Oh, the movable feast yeah, time. Yeah, yeah,
3: and then I've, you know, I've done sort of, I don't know the due diligence. I think you do the due diligence with the books, but then in life, every once in a while, your path actually crosses where... Where, um,
2: when you say due diligence, do you mean like f- f- t- making sure yeah. you try and go on your own pilgrimages just, for what it means yeah, to you? Yeah, just
3: your research in terms of these writers who are important to you. And, um, and, of course, the. it's interesting. When you're in college, you read about all these mythic figures. And then when you get older and you look back, you think, oh, he, was, he must have been 35 when that happened or he was 40. And uh, Hemingway uh, was in a car crash in a Buick in casper wyoming or near there and then and he was in salt lake a couple of times my hometown yes and um because
2: you were born in logan utah yeah yeah i was yeah my and... dad was
3: down there on the gi bill after the war and uh so i'm a native utah i i grew up among the mormons and uh i still love utah i still have an old house there that i think i might go back to and um is it
2: on the old west side
3: no, it's not. The west side of Salt Lake is. I mean, if you're ever in Utah with me, you're going to go to the west side because I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you every place I skinned one of my knees and Come I along, kissed Listers. a girl. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> it's a it's a dear place. It's like the old Garden of Eden. My 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 boyhood, which I thought of as my boyhood, now I see was sort of like the Garden of Eden. It was. Uh, I grew up with these guys, and we had a river on one side and railroad tracks on the other, and bicycles that we'd all made out of spare parts and. Uh, we uh, try just like
2: innocent to, uh, bike gangs in a way. Oh, or... it was great!
3: It was just great. Uh, and Is it still uh,
2: like that when you go back, Ron? Or it's what?
3: evolved like every place else. I mean, almost all the places we know in our youth change. I think that's always been true. Um, the remote places change a little less rapidly and i've lived a couple of places where the wealthy live and those places don't change cuz everybody owns it <laughs> and so nobody puts houses there but uh all the little towns um that i knew uh, scattered through the west logan and salt lake and park city and down to flagstaff and uh you know santa fe and they've all they've all evolved and everybody you know the phrases they get found out Flagstaff is sort of getting found out now, and I have a little house near there. I just love the West, though. I still, I live in California now, which, and California is California, and it's sort of a special place, but I don't think of it as the West. I think of the West its as own
2: thing, isn't as it? the
3: quarter of um, of northern Arizona, well, southern Arizona too, I guess. Although Arizona, I read, was like the third most urban state by the percentage of population that lives in the cities. So yeah, there's only five and a half million people, and I think th- more than three or four live in Tucson and Phoenix. Mm. And so, um,
2: so there is the, the the wide open spaces are. Oh, preserved you can still there. get out
3: of town. That's yes. one of the things I needed. I need to be able to do is just get out of town. And uh, that
2: sounds like your are go, um, go to the edge of <laughs> yeah. the the edge of a precipice or the edge of time? <laughs> Far out of the edge well, of Well,
3: I like to get out to where, and that's one of the advantages I see now of living near the ocean is that I used to drive. Uh, I, just draw, I did a lot of driving. I've had a lot of road trips. There's nothing more sustaining for me than a road trip. And, um,
2: and head clearing.
3: I like to get out. I mean, you put me in Moab, Utah at seven in the morning with a coffee on the bumper of my car while I check the tires. And that's the definition of optimism. And then about, I'm about to start the day, and it doesn't take you long driving either way, north or south out of Moab, and you can sense that you're on a planet. You can get that sense of the arc and the, the, the hills, and, you know, there's a lot of places where it gets obscured either by the sky or by congestion, and... I like to be reminded I'm on a planet.
2: So so that's why you said the ocean is good for you now, because you can see the curve times, of the planet, yeah, the, the it, expanse? Yeah,
3: it depends. Sometimes the ocean's like a theme park, and sometimes like it's a big, fabulous, unknowable thing. And so it changes for me. It's I don't know much about the ocean, and I'm not a particularly good swimmer, and I live in a town where... Every block, every day, there are people changing into their wetsuits and headed for the beach. It's just so wonderful, all these young, healthy people. And uh, and I couldn't surf. I don't know. I would... Uh I'd lean. I couldn't. I'd hide under the board somewhere. But, uh, but that's where the sharks are. So, well, I'm not. Yeah, Sharks are the least of my danger. Carrying the board over across the beach would be the hard part. But, um, or
2: getting out over the waves, the breaking well, waves. It's, right? it's
3: comical, but I've actually been on a surfboard. And uh, so when you, you go, you say, well, I'll paddle out. Well best of luck, by the time you've paddled out, you, you know you should get an award you're
2: exhausted
3: <laughs> yeah so uh, but
2: you're but it sounds like your life is in the mountains and in knowing the woods, and uh-huh. at least if um I'm thinking the knowledge that you show in this we have i should say on the table um your latest novel um out with viking two thousand and nine the signal um, and your main character um Mac mm-hmm. and his um his, his ex-wife, they're mm-hmm. they're out in the Wyoming wilderness. Right. Um, and so, but you, there's so much knowledge of and respect for knowing a place mm-hmm. in the land. So it seems like that might be, is that something then that is just an intrinsic part of who you are as a person, well, not just you know, as a writer? Well, it is.
3: I think that it always has been. Even, I lived in the East, I lived in the manicured hills of right? Connecticut yeah. and taught at a prep school winters. And then I'd always had to get to Utah in the summer. I, I like to sleep on the ground a little bit every year. And I'm not particularly, I mean, I would say I'm a really serviceable and uh, utility camper. I mean, I know how to do it. You'd, you'd like to go camping with me. and We're not going to forget stuff. It's not going to be four stars, but it'll be reasonable. I'm good with fires. I'm good with water. And um, but i'm not the, the top notch one of these uh, great uh, i i i could survive i think on my own terms but uh yeah, so I like the out outdoors i like i have been a school teacher all my life, so I spend a lot of time indoors and um working with young people and so when i can and i schedule some time to um, i i get out i go into northern utah uh southern southern uh I like the Wind River Mountains, which is where this book is set. But I spend a lot of time in the Uinta Mountains of Utah, which is a very strange little mountain range. It's the only mountain range in the United States, they say, that runs east and west. And it's right there beneath that little shelf of missing Utah, the bite that Wyoming takes out of Utah. Oh, right. Yeah, and, so, um, and it runs from just about 150 miles east of Salt Lake all the way almost to the state state line and so
2: do they know because you you studied at least in high school geology um, and and so was it something like the earth dropped and so there was like these mountains and so there was a natural reason i could tell you i could (laughs) tell
3: you the vivid story of a couple of mountains because it's real it's right before you okay where the where the continent broke and grizzly ridge uh which is at the very eastern end of those mountains oh that's a great name it broke and you can see the shelf and uh, why it broke and why the pressures were north and south, I don't know. But um, of course, the continental divide and all of the Rocky Mountains run run north and south there, and that's where the wind. That's what the wind rivers do. And the wind rivers are a much more raw, wild place, and taller too. I mean, a more um, it's more significant mountain range than the Uintas. But um, I grew up in Utah, and my dad took me fishing. At Spirit Lake on the northern slope of the Uintah Mountains when I was six and seven and eight. And um, I still am at Spirit Lake every other year now. And, it's like uh, a
2: touchstone for you.
3: I'll be somewhere in there in October this year, up around there. And um, there's I could tell I don't start me on these stories because <laughs> uh, but we got time. But uh, yeah, so this book was finally I turned and turned all my attention after writing nine books of all kinds um, I decided to write a novel that used that world and uh, create a character, Mac, who he's actually better at stuff than I am. He's, he's a much better fisherman, well, even sounds... though he says he isn't. And uh, I, mean, I can, can cook that... as well as he can, oh. but barely. <laughs> you know, you give me a fire and a fire imprint. I'm a fry man. I'm a good short order guy. But, um so it was a privilege to write this book. I just, it was such a pleasure. You write books for all kinds of reasons. And I wanted to write a book which had a powerful inner story about these two people, but really used the world in, in the ways that I wanted. So And
2: almost, uh, it seems like you're honoring that that world mm-hmm. and what it takes to, to know it and be in it. Mm-hmm. it. It's And the relationship with Mac and his father, our lovely moments. I wonder mm-hmm. if that's... It sounds like there might be echoes that you were drawing from, from your own father right. with well, those early I think trips. that I'm
3: interested. My father and I've been, I was lucky to know a lot of interesting men in the generation ahead of me. And um, of all levels of education who were kind and who always had a code about their tools, about their job, about their, their love of recreation, their, the way they treated women. Um, all quiet, without saying it. You know, I'm a guy who has, I have a lot of words.
2: You're a talker.
3: Well, I could talk. <laughs> but in
2: a good way. <laughs> I
3: can talk. But what you need is somebody who, 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 like when I watch them, it's just a privilege to incorporate them in, in, in that book. And, um, so I had a lot of mentors who were quiet and who did it by example. And then, of course, as you, in literature, there are a lot of characters, both men and women, who have uh codes, I was always amused at the beginning of the first half of the sun also Rises Hemingway's first novel where Jake sort of pays for everything. People drive a cab and he always gets it and i uh the whole idea of of who picks who gets the check and who covers it and who takes care of his friends and and uh anyway, it just so between life and art, I wanted to try to make a book. I wanted actually to make a book that, when you read it, it would make you want to get out your sleeping bag. And um,
2: well, you've succeeded.
3: Yeah, thanks. And so that was that was the urge and the signal. And I've been so gratified with the with the uh, you know the reaction to the book. And so it's been fun to go around and read from. And
2: well, like let's t- let's take a short break. And when we come back. Will you read some for us? Oh, sure. And we'll hear some. Okay, you're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Ron Carlson. We'll be right back.
4: Well, it ain't no use to sit and wonder why, baby. Even you don't know by now. And it ain't no use to sit and wonder why, baby. Don't think twice, it's all right.
2: Welcome back. If you're just joining us, you've got living writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program ron carlson and i'd like to say thanks quickly to brian delaney uh for making us sound good playing the cowboy tunes and the bob dylan um <laughs> I, I read online there was a great what was it teen teenreads.com where there's a sweet interview that you've answered some questions i don't know if you remember it was back for when you did speed of light yeah, in of light. 2003 right. your young young adult yeah, novel yeah um,
3: that's the book about my boyhood those three boys in the last summer of their friendship
2: oh. three 12
3: year olds who have uh yeah and they invent all the uh they invent everything they invent baseball and sex and science
2: well as you and, must right when yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're yeah. at 12. Yeah. So,
3: and i did an interview what did it say
2: well there was a moment where they said what's your favorite album and you said freewheeling by bob dylan oh, so right. that's why we're going to be piping some of that well, in there. <laughs> when i
3: was a senior when i was a senior in college we had two albums i lived with a guy named roger day and he was a brilliant guy who's gone off to have a wonderful life but um
2: hello our par- roger
3: our, yeah our <laughs> apartment was crazy and uh we had two albums and one was hair and one was freewheeling and, and, <laughs> let's
2: get some hair on.
3: Too. <laughs> i remember when we had those and instead of writing our names on the album roger wrote on them finders keepers so it was like you know 1969 so uh, fun!
2: Oh, that is uh, great! And yeah. before you drove out, yeah, through past that, that whole Flint, winter, Niagara, that, that whole
3: winter, it was. Uh, I wrote that. Um, there's a novel, my first novel, which some people are just optioning for film, and I wish them all the luck. Was published in uh, 1977. It's called Betrayed by F. Scott Fitzgerald, and it's a sweet, great title, sweet book about the disaffection and affection. It's really a love letter to college. And how how difficult it is, and how rocky and full of mourning getting out of college is. And um, it's all set in the West. There's actually some fishing in it. (laughs) So, anyway... uh, After
2: reading The Signal, I feel like you probably have a fishing cameo in almost everything. Well,
3: it seems like that, but not (laughs) quite... Well, actually, there's fishing in five skies, and uh, I don't know what else there is, Um, but... uh, yeah, so anyway, that's... Do you I,
2: know Jim Harrison, too?
3: I met Jim Harrison once. I was oh. lucky. And he's really a terrific writer. I mean...
2: And talk about he, the UP. Right? Yeah, and he's, he's a, a person
3: who's set... Who, w- just with his muscularity... He was he, had, he was both muscle and poetry. Yes. And so, and he's set... Um, I mean, there's a great deal of permission in his work that like, when I read it and I've read maybe six or seven of his books and I just got another one about the uh, I think it's called the English major. It is. And um, I do, Yeah, I love him. I admire him so much. And and
2: and, and do you. Yeah, he's 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 an American. Yeah, um.
3: <laughs> yeah he's a force of nature, really. <laughs> a force of the, nature. And I mean that the, the force and the nature. And I think he's a great appreciator of life. And I think he's full of wonder and he's kind of been damaged by the way people behave and astounded. And, and he, I don't know, I just think he's, um, he's a real conscience and I could say a lot about it, but yeah, and I, I, appreciate think, him. I think
2: he can shoot rattlesnakes in his driveway and, yeah, you know, he's, yeah. he's up there. with yeah, exactly, a, <laughs> exactly. He's going to be tough too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, and, and so you mentioned poetry. So I wanted to ask you about that because it said that you wrote, poems in high school mm-hmm. as well like when you were studying right geology and physics and yeah. are you still is it something that as a writer um at least on on record from what i've seen you've got the love of short stories mm-hmm. many short story collections these novels um the short the the young adult novel um mm. so are you writing poems too uh what you're That's writing funny. everything
3: well the answer is yes and i've but the poems are um I'll just say this. My mother was a wit. She was uh, self-educated. She's actually the valedictorian of the eighth grade, Uh, Brown County, South Dakota, 1938. I have this great picture of her and 100 other kids, and she's standing in front with a bouquet of roses. But um, she was a famous, in Utah, famous contester in the 50s. Contester. She entered contests, 25 words or less. And she won stuff, and she won my bicycle, and she won records, and she won a hi-fi. We had a hi-fi, and one of the records she she won. Uh, I remember all these records: uh, Flower Drum Song, and Martin Denny's Jungle Sounds, and uh, Dave Brubeck Take Five. And we had this uh, this huge. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's wonderful to be in this radio station surrounded by albums again. But so she was, and I know, she was I wonder if very successful, some- and she won a lot of money she seriously she um and so she was very very clever all it, it, i was i was i suffered quips and puns all my youth and uh, if it's a, made
2: you who you are today if a word Ron. could be
3: turned sideways she did it and there's nobody who loved words more i've met all kinds of professors and traveled in university circles but she loved those words and she uh continued in puzzles and um and writing puzzles and being parts of a puzzle in cryptic societies until she passed away in 2001. I miss her, but she's the influence on my poetry. So a lot of my poems are wordplay, and um, they... um, So I have this book. I wrote a book. And actually, I'm going to call the book... I came up with a title on the airplane coming to Michigan, and it's called My Work... um, my recent work on the time machine. And so, uh, because I realized that's what it is. And some of them are prose poems and statements and um, they are all kinds of things. And uh, I don't know what to say about them, but I'm not going to stop writing them.
2: Do you have some with you today, Ron? Do you have any of the...
3: I do. I do have some with me. and uh, well,
2: Maybe I'll, think about reading sure, one sure, or yeah, so. Sure, yeah, I have a short one here. That would be lovely. Uh,
3: okay. Well, should we hear
2: yeah. it first, shall we? And then we'll go to The Signal, a piece from The Signal.
3: Well, um, um, yeah, I'll just oh, grab it. Oh,
2: that, okay. um, that, sounds, that sounds great. And while you're doing that, uh, much delayed, I will read your short bio that's in the back of the novel The Signal, out with Viking, 2009 Um, here we go Ron Carlson is the author of four story collections and four novels most recently five skies his fiction has appeared in Harper's the New Yorker Playboy and GQ his work has been featured on NPR's this American Life and selected shorts and in best American short stories and the O. Henry prize stories he is the director of the UC Irvine writing program and lives in Huntington Beach California and his heart is in Utah. I think that's
3: right. I think that's right about my heart. The, um, now, I'm always, um, as a writer, you're, you create the habit for yourself of um, scribbling. And... Um, so odd bits don't get away. So sometimes it's just a word or a phrase or an observation. And and
2: you've got notebooks.
3: And I have notebooks. Well, they're folders now, and I love hard copy. I'm not a big uh, computer guy. I love the computer as a production tool, but I'm not sure it's a creative tool. And um, I worry about computers a little bit in that um, we've all succumbed to this national phenomena of email and so on and it's difficult to um it's difficult for a writer i mean when i when you write on a typewriter i know this is an old uh and hackneyed story but i wrote six books on a typewriter and a typewriter is a device that only has one way it, it comes,
2: propels you it really you, you have
3: your mind from your mind it goes through your fingers and through the machine and comes out nothing comes in the other way there's no mail there's no google there's no nothing coming in and so you're alone and being alone is the condition which we're losing of course and so when you're alone sometimes you can find out what you're thinking and when i read your book that's what i want in that book i want to find out what you were thinking i don't want to know what everyone was thinking all the time
2: and the buzzing that's happening yeah. around Instead we have this 24
3: 7 and i think this would be a bunch better country if it was Oh, like four, eight. If we were open four days a week and it was only eight hours each day. And then we all had to go away and be quiet. Um, That
2: doesn't sound half bad, Ron.
3: (laughs) Well, it's not. It's a great idea. It's not going to happen. Now, um, what I'm going to read is this prose page. Okay, This this bridges the gap between my lyric work and my... um, And it's also set in a place in Utah, northeastern Utah... Um, About 35 miles north of Vernal, I have a little cabin at 8,500 feet. And so this is called Utah Cabin, Utah Cabin Under Heaven, July 3rd. Today is insect day in the world, and the sun has invented all these creatures who now work ceaselessly in the grasses and trees surrounding the cabin. The bees, 10 kinds of bees, some who whistle or is it sizzle as they bump against the eaves in some kind of labor. And the flies, twenty kinds, some very small who still retain the ability to bite, and the gorgeous and feared housefly, the gorgeous and feared horsefly on my shoelaces, standing there in twenty blinking facets, rubbing her forearms together as if rolling up her sleeves for the duties to come and the little beetles, narrow as exclamation points, but less excited, and the one hornet, all alone, dragging his golden quotation-mark legs through the air, looking for a mate so they could quote something, and the butterflies, through whose wings the sun shines completely, orange and brown, and flying in hiccups, or so it seems, to the inept human observer. The sun doesn't shine through many parts of his human body, maybe the shellbacks of his ears, but it doesn't shine through his rib cage, which he so desires. The trillion ants are imperturbable, they don't act like it is crowded, and the glistening black ants walk around like dogs, some of them wearing leashes and shiny colours. When the human spilled grape jam on the kitchen counter, suddenly there was an ant. He'd found the mother load and he nosed the jam and then circled the sink to tell his three buddies back by the wall. The human interrupted their plan, and when he swiped them carefully up in a paper towel, they came popping out of it with a skill that goes back a millennium, survivors, but they were escorted thus quickly to the front lawn. Certainly they regathered there, all four of them, and the three asked the one with the purple mouth, what did it taste like? Is it really good? The human knows that he will see them again. And there is the little quick gray spider in the bathtub who always comes out when the human appears. The gray spider wants to see who's messing and who the hell cleaned up all the flies. Does the human think he killed them for nothing? He's late for lunch. It is a day of insects, but a human being needs to stand still to see them. To look at the ground is to see a cosmos in motion. There's an ant climbing a long blade of grass, three inches, and then disappointed at the top, he climbs down. He thought this elevator went to the tenth floor. He hoped actually it went up to the hummingbird feeder from which the drop of sugar he would chased had fallen. On hands and knees, the human can raise his gigantic head and see the far hills, grizzly ridge embedded with red rocks like jewels in a crazy present for the king. And between where his hands rest in the dirt and those rocks, there are unlimited creatures blessing the earth, uncannibal motions in brief lives. And the human wishes with his human heart, which is an imprecise instrument, that he could find God here, that God would appear. But he may have. The human heart may not be the right tool for the job. It's like trying to paint a picture with a drum or something. The human knows he loves this world and that his sadness is a blessing of some kind, which will either be revealed to him or not. But he will use the days to breathe and to call himself to mindfulness some of the time
2: thank you ron thank you
3: yeah so sometimes um you when you get in a meditation some of the poems are like that they it's a page it looks like paragraphs it's a meditation and it is and you try to uh stop and look quietly at or you sing with some kind of singularity at a thing and um others are um are odd takeoffs on phrases so i wrote a poem on um Closing the barn door after the horse is gone, like, why wouldn't you close the, you know, it's your barn, you want to close the door, the horse is <laughs> gone, it's not, leaving the door open, just, people are going to say, hey, your barn door's open, <laughs> and the horse isn't coming back, I mean, I, so, I just, I have spent my life around language, too, and so, uh, and I think, as with the people I've met here, the writers I've met in Michigan, uh, there's a care and attention to certain phrases that we, nobody takes anything for granted, we, we're inventing and defining all the time. So, anyway.
2: Thank you, and thank you for reading that for us, because we have a little bit of Utah
3: comes right, in. Right,
2: Because with the signal, we'll be going back to Wyoming, another landscape. But did you write this um, on a typewriter in the cabin?
3: Well, I have, the old, I have an old IBM typewriter in that cabin that I bought at auction from the Vernal Rodeo years ago when they, changed to, uh, they went to computers. And I had that, it cost me $75, which was, but these IBM correcting selectrics. Listen, when I found my first, my mother gave me a typewriter with a correcting key. It was the IBM Selectric. And as soon as you could correct the letter, I thought, no way, that's too good. Because I wrote six books on a typewriter where you'd be writing along and you'd want to write the word affection. But then you'd, start the, <laughs> you'd strike the word L or, or, you'd strike, or you'd strike the letter P. And you just sat there. Until you find a word that meant affection that started with P. because oh, that's you, what you did. Oh, of course. Oh, my I, hands My hands are much smarter than my head.
2: Or you could backspace, right? Oh, no, so you trusted that.
3: No, you... I would have you, started out. If you were going to write the word affection and you started with P, you'd sit there, and the word you came up with was always a better word. And now, search and replace, that's horrible. It's horrible for people to be able to so easily uh, change people's names and change words and... So there's some kind of our bodies and our instincts and our hands somehow know. You know, Wendell Berry the writer said the great thing. He said my hands are smarter than my head. Mm. And they call it a manuscript. I mean, we make it with our hands. Mm. And so if you um I mean, anyway, the computer is it's a great with great ease and we make my my students make such beautiful manuscripts. They're so they're double spaced and they're so handsome, but
2: um and that's been going on for years. but And the pages lie so flat, yeah, whereas if you're coming yeah, from like a typewriter of yeah, different, they've kind of curled through something and they're, mm-hmm. they're already
3: I can't imagine individual. that, <laughs> that um, people would like to go into a room with a typewriter. It's pretty scary. You go into the room with a computer. Oh, look, there's everybody I know, every place in the world all at once. First of all, I can Google Earth and then I can Facebook. And uh, it's no help. It's the enemy. I mean, the the point of writing a book or doing writing is to find out what you're thinking, and so a person, she need or he needs to um, figure out a way to find out what you're thinking, and without knowing it, a lot of things with got it. in the way. And so, I, I never don't see anybody walking alone anymore. There's never a man or a woman walking under a tree the way you used to see. That's all gone. Now everybody's got their phone to their ear, and um, or their uh, thumbing their screens, and it's – um I worry. It's hard to be – you know, when I was 15, I was alone a lot. I mean, I didn't have a phone. When the phone rang in my house, it was not for me. I had a few friends. I watched a little television. There was no incoming. There was no noise. My teachers were trying to tell me things, which I was resisting. I taught – you know, I was – there I was, alone, goofy, thinking.
2: You were with your mind.
3: Yeah, and so it wasn't every – um I knew how to, you know, so anyway, without, I didn't particularly want to be alone, but I was alone. I talked to myself, my teachers, and my report cards, it said to my parents, Ronnie sp- talks to himself, because you... Do something about that. But, you know, was that
2: as part of your participation uh, oh no, grade? It was, or was, it was
3: it my <laughs> total apprenticeship as a writer.
2: Exactly. So. Let's take a short break, Ron. Um, and we, we'll we'll talk to each other no, okay. no, or get to get ourselves. Perfect. Yeah. perfect. Um, we'll be right back. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Ron Carlson. And when we come back, we'll hear some of his latest, the novel, The Signal. We'll be right back. I was looking in here for them. I'll go on
1: right- Where the moon's silver light Casts no gladness Tonight The trail Stretches Winding and slow My heart Left long ago It was once In your hand Now it lies in the sand Like me lost and the lord Gently tonight, the song of the waters calls me.
2: Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you've got living writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, Ron Carlson is here. He's in town. Um, Maybe some of you got lucky and you heard his reading at the art museum. Um, But for the rest of us, um, Ron, you're going to read a little a little piece. Well, the, um, the, signal the Signal is
3: about Mac, and he's grown up now, and his parents are gone, and he's trying to hold on to his little ranch, the ranch that he has, which has been a guest ranch. And um, he's going, the whole book, the current story is about a six-day backpacking trip he takes with his ex-wife as they're both, he's trying to recover for something, and she just goes along to help him. She's a friend of his. And
2: Was that you... a natural structure, Ron, for the book? Like when you were, when the story was coming to you or as you were sketching mm-hmm. it out... Did it fall into those days? Like, was that a natural structure? It was.
3: I just started writing. The first sentence was that he arrives at the trailhead in the late day. And like so much work, I I mean, I've I've arrived at trailheads. Okay. You get out and if you're going to backpack, then you, you have your vehicle there and you unpack and you sort your gear. And it's just... I can't stand it. It's so pleasurable. Just uh, doing, putting your stuff in your pack and making sure you've got your fishing gear and lining things up. And, and you're the
2: keys sp- on the rear tire. Yeah. yeah. And you're <laughs> going to
3: spend one night on the, um, one night there with a little camp and then go on the next morning. So I wrote that left, what I call left foot, right foot, step by step carefully, because I wanted to convince myself. The old notion of creative writing is you write what you know, and that, that, that has so many meanings. But what you do is, what I do rather, not what anybody else should do, but what I do is I start with what I know because it helps me believe in the moment, and then I write toward, slowly, slowly, I write toward what I don't know. And pretty soon I have a world, in inventory, and it takes a while. And that's the, that's the real rush and joy And I think perhaps truth of fiction. So, um, yeah, the natural structure of the six days came to me. And I just took, I had such pleasure with the mornings, noons and nights and the campfires and the uh, discussion the two people have. They're estranged and they're tender and sort of sore. And um, so it was a bit of a dance. But in this little section I'm going to read, Mac is talking about, or we remember that he was on the ranch as a teenager And his father warned him about um, just being careful with the other kids who were around. And he says, um, so he meets with his father in the guest house, or in the father. He says uh, his father called him into the big house, and they sat in the small front office that their bookkeeper used two days a week. He came out, and his father swiveled the oak chair to Mac, and they talked. The room was cloistered by the varnished pine shelves full of books, his father's collection of Zane Gray and Jack London and Western history and beaten and a beaten tin umbrella stand full of rolled maps. "'These kids look up to you,' his father said. "'I don't know,' Mac said. He sat on the dark leather hassock orphaned from its long-lost chair. "'Yes, you do. They should look up to you. You're a good hand. They're not used to this. All they've got is their car and the junior prom. You're an exotic item, Mac.' "'Okay,' the boy said. "'But what we are to these people is sort of a cliché. "'They come out here to taste this, and it's good for all of us. "'But these girls, some of them are going to fall for you, you big, strong cowboy.' "'His father tapped Mac's knee with his two fingers. "'Come on, you can look at me. I know you're a good kid. "'Some of these gals from New York even come after your old man, "'a little fling out west for a week. "'You want to be a cliché?' "'No, sir,' Max said, I don't. "'You need me to recount the history of Sheridan the racehorse?' "'No, sir, please.' His father smiled. Have you recovered from that lesson? He'd taken the boy to witness their only thoroughbred, Sheridan, at stud when Mac was nine years old. No, sir, Mac said truly. No one could recover from that. Mac went on and repeated what his father had said that day. That's enough of the birds and bees for one boy. Well, good, his father said. We won't be clichés then. That's all I expect. And I know you know what to do. Talk the day with these kids and riding and horses and weather and then send them back to supper. Don't walk with them or have them out near the bunkhouse. My eyes are right here. I know you know what to do. I don't want this business venture we're in to hurt you, boy. I love you and I love this place. Do you know it? Yes, sir, I do. Show me your hands. Mac leaned and held his hands out and then turned them over. They'd always done this a show of hands. His father looked him over, nails, cuticles, knuckles, palms. You could tell get a good ranch hand by the number of nicks. The fewer, the better. And as the years passed, Mac's hands cleared up. His father squeezed his hands now and said, That's enough of that. Quite a talk for the old homestead. You go, get to work.
2: Thank you, Ron. I'm, I'm so happy that you yeah. chose a scene with the father as well. Those right. moments working in flashback are so... Um, because the father is what all that is good right that mac yeah. wants and has been failing like with even though he wants he's to, a
3: troubled guy and to so, do, so to have right. to have a north star to have a guiding light or whatever you call it even you and know and that code men are mixed men have all kinds of light and shadow but in memory a father becomes a beacon of kinds, and, and clearer and clearer as the years go by. So,
2: is that how your father that is think to you, so. Ron?
3: Well, he was. It was interesting because uh, my father was an engineer and ran a company with my two brothers. They worked night and day with each other. I fled. I went out far away when I was nineteen, twenty years old, and started teaching school.
2: Did you go to Alaska then? No, I, I went
3: to uh, I went to Connecticut from oh, Arizona. Right. Okay. And I was in Alaska later, but the um, then I. Uh, and so because I wasn't working with him, I sort of got him as a friend. And for the last 30 years of his life, we were the closest friends. We traveled together. So he he went to writers' conferences with me. He might have come here with me if he'd been alive. We went to a writers' conference at Lake Atasca, and he would go to the poetry readings, and we'd sit on our bunks like two kids at camp afterward and talk about the poems. It was, it was really interesting. And he wrote several books and published them for our, our family, including one that... Um, is very popular in northeastern south dakota called look back once in a while about uh his one room schoolhouse in the 30s and uh the title comes from um what his father told him about how you learn to plow a field straight because it's hard and the way you do the way you stay straight and not ruin the field with the plow is you look back once in a while and that keeps you straight and so oh anyway that's
2: so <laughs> what a metaphor
3: yeah no it was uh, he was a brilliant guy and but we were good buddies we had um Anyway, I, I miss him terribly. but uh, So, yeah, Mac, Mac has this, uh, like I said, I'm interested in, uh, for lack of a better word, a kind of honesty uh, uh, where the true light and shadow, people make mistakes. We know that. And I'm very interested in how that's not the end of somebody, how how, uh, there's all kinds of language and recovery now, et cetera. And I, I'm not interested in using that, but. Well, I'm, Mac
2: has a few, like a few weeks in jail that yeah. actually gives him the time. Right? Yeah,
3: exactly. And that's exactly, it's just after that, that the book begins. And so, um, yeah, so.
2: So redemption isn't too strong of a word, like trying to grapple with it's that. It's an
3: interesting word, isn't it? Redemption, redeem, redemption I don't know. It's, it, it, people use it. I've seen it in reviews and so on, but, um. It's. I don't think we ever. I don't think there's ever one specific answer. I think. I think life's a work in progress, and that's what I wanted to reflect here. That um, I'm an optimist. Okay, and I hope um, I'm not a cynic. I'm trying to be frank with my work, and I think there's a lot in my stories and novels of of uh, shadow and darkness. I guess, but I try to make that honest too. So, um, Max struggles. I mean, there's being in the out of doors, it's, I think of the signal as a very, um, I don't know what to say, bright book. I mean, there's a lot of daylight in it. And when it rains, there's a lot of good rain in it. And I tried very hard to, uh, make the rain convincing, you know, so.
2: Yes, yeah, well, when they're under the canopy of trees, there's uh-huh. this lovely moment where you sort of get lulled into thinking, because that's when the relationship, they're kind of, uh-huh. they're having more of a tender moment then. Right. But then that's the moment where everything kind of falls out from them and some of the danger really right. presents itself. Right. Right. Um, but with the dead bodies of the the carcasses of yeah, the, elk, the elk, right? Yeah. and then, um is there cuz there's an interesting thing that runs through the story where um between Mac and um Vonnie um the storytelling that starts when he's a, a boy and entertaining the kids right. on the ranch the story of Hiram right the right. the, the the hermit slash cannibal, yeah, but he just yeah. wants to feel people's hearts. Yeah, <laughs> <He's> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I wondered, is that maybe is that something that story that runs through and in the intimacy of storytelling? Um, uh, it's it's almost like you're, you you're showing your love for stories, but mm. is it a balancing of of Max's character because he's also set up to be such a liar, even if he's a bad liar? Mm-hmm. This the well, story I, that can be true, which I is think, a story.
3: I think stories. When I put that in, and it comes right after the section I just read, Mac tells a story that he'd heard about Hiram, who was in the woods and who snuck into the campfires of the camps of the fishermen and listened for a beating heart in his loneliness. Um, that was just a bonus. I wrote it, you know. I come on. I mean, after all this talk, the truth is, I love a story. I mean, you can take it all away. You can take all of the, all of the. Uh, speaking about elements of craft and elements of theme and all the great notions of in the big fields of literature. And I'm going to be standing there alone with not alone with lots and lots of people. We love a story. Bring on, And so I wrote that story. And then because I was right, because I didn't know where I was going with this book. And so many times when I write a story, I plunge in only with the initial idea, uh, some kind of event or something I'm trying to describe. And so my motto has become, because I don't know where I'm going, why would I hurry? And so because I'm never hurrying, I find a lot of things. And so what I found was this story. And then, of course, the second night it comes up and he says to her, In their way of talking, he says, do you want a story? And she says, she said, oh, the story you told about the cannibal. He says, he wasn't a cannibal. He was lonely. And then she says, no, (laughs) no story. And then later they get in enough trouble that she says, yeah, can I have a story? And then there's something real about that exchange. And I don't know what to say about it now. I didn't, I don't think of it as a literary issue. I think of it as a human issue. So... Uh, but, yeah, so I was glad to get that. And then I noticed, then I kept thinking, oh, uh, I've got this wonderful element that's going to come along under the boat the whole way the story of Hiram as it evolves. And it's in there four or five. And in a way, it comes up at the end of the book and helps me bring the book in for a landing. So I was that was fortunate. That was a good. Uh, you find an element, you think oh, I'm gonna, you know, it's like it's like giving a character a certain trait, such as uh, an ability to play the cello, and then that's gonna go through the whole story. Or
2: well, it's moments like this, like it probably it it it's not as if you were um, making a literary moment out of it, but it's something that was there and that became um, this this symbol between these two characters mm. that you found because it's a trust. Thing somehow. Mm-hmm. And it does, that story when he last tells it, that's this moment where you feel almost like these characters are unified in a way again, or healed in some way mm-hmm. together. Not right. that everything's going to be sunny or rosy no, for them, no. but there's something, and it's because of that story. Well, and it's not like you're uh, pounding it in, it's just its presence, I think.
3: That's a nice way to say it. I think that something's happened, and I'm not sure exactly how to reduce it they are closer in some way, and there's a greater understanding between them. And I've had people tell me, you know, interpret the book uh, all kinds of ways, where they say, "Oh, that's so great, they got back together," or "Or that's too bad." And it's uh,
2: well, you leave it open. I yeah. Think you well, it's not. It, I it?
3: think that I, I, I guess you could say I leave it open, except I have a very clear thing. Like as you said, something's happened. And this experience, you can't go through an experience with someone without and you don't need to explain it. You don't need to say. um, But then, of course, being a writer is tricky because I I went into a thrift store in Los Angeles last year and. When I walked in, I loved this thrift store because it's some guy had been going in there and giving them shirts my size, so and it was great. Perfect, so, yeah. that's
2: like the and that's actually, a gold rush. <laughs> I
3: have these astonishing feet, and I also found some shoes
2: and a broken toe. Here yeah, yeah, you're yeah, here yeah, with a broken yeah, toe yeah, with yeah. your astonishing foot.
3: So uh, what happened was I would go into this whenever I was in Los Angeles. It was the Cancer Society's thrift store, so I went in there anticipating getting more wonderful shirts, and um, sometimes it was. Uh, they were seven dollars, and sometimes they were two for seven dollars and You never knew uh these beautiful these gorgeous shirts by this brilliant man who had ever worn them in the first place but um, there was a guy in there who was buying a table there was a table in the whole room we couldn 't even i said and so he just bought this table. And he couldn't get it home, and they didn't know how to work the dolly. And I totally got involved with him. And he lived—I he, didn't know where his truck was. No, he lived five blocks. So I ended up going with his dolly up the sidewalk with the table. And see, you, okay, so that's fine. I mean, that's the kind of thing. My dad was a welder, and people would bring broken boat trailers over to the house in the morning, and he'd spend the day fixing a boat trailer. In the morning, in the evening, that thing would be fixed. I lived in a house where things got better, and so now. But he didn't go write a story about it, and so it's just odd sometimes I think where uh, I um, have these encounters and um, they're, they turn out to be stories, so it's the way I've lived my life. Um, I'm just saying that
2: it seems like a writer's way, like a way of seeing something. And I'll mm-hmm. I'll just quickly say it before we, I'd like us to keep going, Ron. Mm-hmm. But um, just your I want to tell everyone, remind them, of course, in case you've forgotten, you're listening to WCBN FM, Ann Arbor, um, Living Writers. Um, but yeah, these it seems like a way of like how can you if you're a writer. Um, you're kind of, that's how you're walking around in those with your astonishing feet as a writer. (laughs) Well, I've loved, I've
3: loved having these words. I've loved having words for things. I've loved being able to make stories. But at the same time, I wonder what it would be like to go like a month and just deny access, say, I'm just going to be a human being. I'm not going to be aware. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to give words to anything.
2: And like how, because it's, it's something that's like a transmission, isn't it? Like yeah. not, not to make a play on the, si- yeah. to get back to the <laughs> signal. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> but it's like almost like you're without choice. You're mm-hmm. processing things like the images that are coming in. Well, when and I the talk language. On, on the
3: telephone or like talking to you now with my friends, we talk in stories. We say, um... Even if it's talking, say I. I spoke to the like the, my the I. I go to this old post office in downtown po- Huntington Beach, and I know the people there, and I. I could tell you a story about each one of them, but when I, I went the other day, and the the one woman had cut her hair, so we were talking about that and the new stamps, and so when I, in the evenings when I sort of recount the day that wonderful debriefing you do, with a friend or two, there's stories. There's always mm-hmm. stories, and nothing like car trouble for a story. I mean, my battery went dead in Huntington Beach, and I just moved there, and I thought, where where do I live? I was nervous about where I lived, and I was also, I got out in my car, battery was dead, and so I didn't know what to do. I didn't have AAA yet. I was new. I was scared of being late for a meeting, and so what I did is I took my jumper cables, and I stood in the middle of the street, (laughs) and that's all I did, and this guy came immediately, and he did a U-turn and pulled up, and... We almost we didn't even have to talk. And he got me started and that was it. And uh later in the day I someone said, Well, how you doing? I said, Well, I moved to the right town <laughs> And so but everything's a story and I, I I think there's something very true about that. I don't think there's some necessarily a feat or um literary.
2: No, so. no. And well and that makes sense if I mean that makes sense even from the very beginning, I feel like, um we've been also talking about Hemingway and um
3: I think you have to be careful with your stories. I mean, what do you mean? Well, I think I I mean people can be profligate. Well, I think that well, like when you meet new people, you meet a person and you you start to exchange stories, and sometimes pieces of you. Sometimes you pull out. You say, "Oh, this is that card. I'm pulling out the high school card." Or, and I sort of what I try to do is not. I try to deal new cards. I mean, I'm not making up new stories, but I'm very uh, careful about. Uh, I mean, I try to tell fresh, new stories because I think I'm evolving. Anyway, it's it's an interesting thing. I don't, I'm not. Uh, well, you I, expect
2: that in your I don't understand that in it your... at all.
3: Except, I I love. Like I've met a lot of people here at the university, and um, I noticed. You know, we tell the stories about where they were, uh, what they did, um, like that.
2: But you can tell when they've said it so many times instead of what's the story that's coming for you and that moment of exchange And
3: married couples have their stories and they tell them in certain ways you know oh we went to europe and the lost passport story and the stolen levi story and the terrible restroom story (laughs) you know uh,
2: but it's it's interesting that you're saying that these are the stories that you're telling and how you're connecting mm -hmm, with people mm -hmm. but also um that's in the writing you expect somehow the stories in the writing your writing life to be evolving in some way
3: oh they are they do
0: so how do you see
2: but how do you see that and is it strange like if you're doing the doing the work ron of writing is it strange to then try and look at the at the body of work that came before be- mm-hmm. because you you hosted um just to throw this in this interesting fact books and company on KAET in Arizona the oh. public television for uh-huh. six seasons and so yeah. at that point you were talking a lot about people's works and the mm-hmm. ideas and you're teaching at in the PhD program right. at Irvine now yeah. so you're you're quantifying and you're you're mit- and so to look at your own work like that but also be f- evolving without trying to guide like how do you reconcile that like well, the evolving do, without guiding writer,
3: it uh, i do what i work in i work in the mfa program at uci and the um we have a nifty little program there and i um i was going to say that you um oh I, that put me off the off the rail but you tell i mean what happens to me is that um all my stories come from germs of of moments, little moments that, um, and so people, I think part of the currency of, of human interaction is stories. We don't, I mean, it's not just our resume, it's stories. And I'm very interested as a writer, you evolve, I think through seasons in your life and you go, it's not that you get better as a writer. All of a sudden your language goes from eight to nine. What happens is your concerns shift. You have children or the children grow, or you get divorced, or someone dies, or someone gets better, or you move to someplace, and uh, those things. And so the the concerns in your life evolve. And if you're, me- you know, writing in a way, when we're thinking about it, is a way of measuring our lives, and we're imprecise instruments, and we do the best we can, and it's hard because there are a lot of other writers indicating what are the patterns, what are the what are the models, what are the paradigms for the way we measure. And those paradigms, we've got to go past them. But what worked for everybody else, what worked for the mainstream, even in a literary story, are not necessarily what would be good for me, or honest to me, or true for my story. So um, originality is a sort of requirement that... You simply don't fill in the blanks of, of the form, but you try with your language and with your notions and with your vision and with your passion to, to say some small new thing. Um, so the, I'm not sure that anyway, the music, talking, of,
2: the music you know, of your own mind yeah, exactly. in some way. Mm-hmm. Ron Carlson, thank you so much for being oh, good. on the program today.
3: Well, I enjoyed it awfully. It's really fun. It, so thank you for well, being so supportive and nice.
2: It's been a real treat. Good. Um, Thank you again to Brian. Thanks for listening in Ann Arbor. And if you're streaming, once again, um, Ron Carlson's latest, The Signal, a novel. And look for that collection of poems and prose poems <laughs> to come out soon. And we'll have you, let's talk again, Ron. Okay. I've loved Absolutely. it. I'm T. Hetzel.
4: Until next time. How many roads must a man walk down? Before you call him a man, how many seas must the white dove sail before she sleeps in the sand? Isn't how many times must the cannonballs fly before they're forever banned?
2: This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, May 30th, 2012. In Los Angeles, I'm Dorian Marina. Coming up, as Mitt Romney seals the Republican nomination with a win in Texas, voting rights advocates warn of laws that could keep many from the polls, and the Libertarian Party offers its platform on fixing the economy. In Quebec, student led protests gather steam as a harsh law goes into effect. And we'll go to Thailand, where thousands rally as the Parliament prepares to debate a controversial bill on political reconciliation. Those stories and more coming up after this news.
0: I'm Jess Burns with headlines for FSRN. Former Liberian
3: President Charles